Well, let's pray. God, thank you so, so much for answered prayers. Thank you for saving souls, God. I thank you, Father, Lord, that you reach in. Lord, I, well, I can even look back and just, just, Lord, I'm very thankful that I was saved when I was saved. I look at all the time that was wasted, all the years that was squandered, and all the opportunities, God, that could have been there. Thank you, Father, for reaching into the hearts of children and saving souls. Thank you, God, that there's no time too late, Lord, that you can reach into a thief on the cross in a dying breath and save a soul, God, that it's just repentant heart. Thank you, Father, for loving us in spite of us the way that you do. God, I pray now, Father, you'd help us to be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray you'd take this word and teach it, Father, that we might learn something about you, God, that we might be better servants. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. So last week we were finishing up in, in chapter 26, the book of Acts. Um, to me, it's a, very, it's a very sad chapter in the word of God because the chapter spends a lot of time talking about the goodness of God to take somebody like the Apostle Paul who calls himself chiefest of sinners, somebody who despised Christianity, despised Jesus Christ, and unbeknown to himself because he did love God. You understand that, right? He did love God. He was a Pharisee growing up, strict religion of Pharisees. He did love God. And in his heart, he thought he was working for God, but he found himself to be fighting against the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but you, you look in the story, and, and, and he shares it here at this trial, and, and he tells it to Governor Festus, who, who could have had an opportunity to, to make a multitude of difference. He tells it to King Agrippa, who grew up in the Jewish customs and had an opportunity to change his own heart. He tells it to, to all of the, the dignitaries if you will, all of the important people of Caesarea, which is a very important town. This is a major port city, a beautiful city, a, a very functional city. And so you had all the people from the city that, that all come around. And, and, and he, he presents the amazing goodness of God, how Jesus Christ came and forgave me of all of my sin, all my mistake, and the entire gospel is presented, and we have not one salvation story mentioned. All we get out of it is one almost. One almost. You think about missionaries. If you look at the missionaries' letters, I want you to do me a favor. Start. Do y'all read the missionaries' letters in your bulletin? If you don't, I really wish you would. One of the things that I hated about when I took the bulletin out a few years ago was that I quit putting the missionaries' letters on the back. At the time, I didn't have an outline back there. And, and the missionary's letter was on the back. We had a little more room. One of the things I hated taking out is because I, I want you guys to see what they're doing. I, I want you to see that, that that's not just little tags over there. Those are real people in real places doing the real work for the Lord, and God's using them in ways. There are guys that preach for years to see a salvation. There are people putting their life on the line in underground churches and in red China and in places where they could be killed for what they're preaching. And, and they, they preach week in, week out, month in, month out, year after year, searching for salvation. When you look on some of these and you see them talking about, we had two saved, that, there's a reason that's in the letter. That's like the highlight of their ministry they've seen soul saved and you kind of get a picture of that here that the apostle paul i don't know there's much more eloquent speaker a, a, a man with, with a better vision of christ based on his road to damascus i don't know as, as amazing as our testimony is i don't know that it's any stronger than his testimony and he has all that but but yet it, the whole thing is presented and you get not not one salvation you get one almost 
Almost thou persuadest me. So, so when we get to chapter 27 here, we find Paul in a new situation. We've seen Paul do a lot of traveling. We saw Paul traveling when he was Saul of Tarsus. He traveled. He was traveling when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Once he got saved, we saw him travel. He traveled from place to place, and he travels in prayer time, and he, and he travels looking for wisdom, and he travels preaching the gospel, and he goes on missionary journeys, and he's been on a lot of ships and a lot of tours. And as we saw before he come back to Jerusalem, his last second missionary journey that he went on there took him all the way to Asia. So we've seen him do a lot of traveling in his life and along his traveling and along his preaching we've seen him arrested a lot of times we have seen him imprisoned we've seen him beaten we've seen him punished just for preaching the gospel so we've seen him travel and we've seen him arrested but one thing that we haven't seen is Paul traveling as a prisoner see Paul when he traveled Paul always had the ability to follow the unction of the Holy Spirit we've talked a lot about it in, in the study of Acts that when the Holy Spirit led don't go to that city. It didn't matter that there's people lost on the way to hell, and it doesn't make sense to him. Why wouldn't I preach in that city? If the Holy Spirit says, don't go there, don't go there. God's got a better plan. If the Holy Spirit says, go somewhere, then, then go somewhere. Well, here, he's going to travel, and, and he's going to be able to make decisions, but he's not going to be able to enforce decisions. And, and so that's what we'll see, chapter 27. <laughs> it says in verse number 1 that it was determined that we should sail into Italy. Then they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. The, entering the ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. So in verse number one, we see a word used that we talked about several weeks ago, honestly, a few months ago. But it's a word that we haven't seen in, in quite a while now. In Luke chapter 16, you'll remember back in the study, we, we made it because we talked about this point. But in Luke chapter 16, or in Luke chapter 16, in Acts chapter 16, Luke uses the pronoun they. He says, they went into the cities. They traveled into Phrygia. They were come to Mycenae. They essayed to go into Bithynia. They, passing by Mycenae, came down to Troas. So Luke is writing in third person about the journey. He's writing in third person about the things that were there. But then what we saw when we looked at it back then is he begins using a new pronoun. When we get to verse 11 of chapter 16, he says, Loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia. So for the first time, we see him include him, himself in the travel. We see him partnered with the Apostle Paul. And we see that he's not on the outside looking in, that, that he's in the middle of this thing. And for the rest of chapter 16, well into chapter 21, we find him using the word we. But, but then as they're traveling from, from Asia to Jerusalem, it, it is we. On this last journey coming back, it's we, and it's we, and everything is we. And then they, they get to Jerusalem, and they go to visit with James and the elders of the church, and it's we until they introduce them. But, but then it says that, that he, here, chapter 21, verse 17, we were come to Jerusalem. Brethren received us gladly. Verse 18, the day following, Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders that were present. Verse 19, it says that when he had saluted him. So at that point, you see Paul is into the hands of James and the elders. And if you remember, that's when they sent him to the synagogue with four of the men to help them um, take care of some things. And then he was, the mob came in and he was arrested. And then from that point up until now, we don't find the words we anymore. You, you, you find him for, for this entire span of everything that happened in Jerusalem for more than two years of imprisonment here in Caesarea. We, we don't see the word we. Now, we can assume with full certainty Luke is still there. 
I don't believe Luke's ever very far. I don't think he's ever very far outside of what's going on. Matter of fact, I believe he's in the audience a lot of times. I, I believe he's able to write what Paul said because I believe he was there at Caesarea. I, I believe he's able to write about the events and things that happened because I believe he's there. I think he saw them firsthand. But he's not included in the things that Paul is going through. So he, he puts things out as the, as the Paul. But one thing that we see in our text is, is that Paul has some traveling companions. One is his beloved physician, Colossians, when he wrote the letter to the church at Colossus there in chapter 4, verse 14. He called Luke the beloved physician. So, so we see his position and, and what he thinks about Luke. Now, something I was thinking about as I was studying and reading it, I, I don't know. I do know that when Paul wrote the second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 12, verse 7, he said, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And that's one of the things we talked about recently on a Sunday morning. If you're praying and God hasn't answered the prayer, keep praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying the same thing over until you have an answer. Now, if you get no, no is an answer. But if you haven't gotten no, then don't stop praying. And what we see is that Paul prayed three times. He said, I thought, Lord, three times it might depart from him. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in the weakness. Paul said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, I asked God three times to fix it. And God said, don't ask me again. I, I, I'm not going to heal that. So for that reason, it makes me wonder, is Paul given the opportunity to carry Luke along as his physician? Is he able to, to or is it just a friend? I don't know. I do know that Paul is given some extra privileges, and we'll see that as he travels. This centurion obviously thinks a lot of the apostle Paul, and rightfully so. He, he, he's a man worthy of respect, and, and it's very easy, I'm sure, for this centurion to see what manner of man he is. Number one, he has a, a natural-born Roman citizenship. He's not like probably most of these other prisoners that are being carried in. He is a Roman citizen, and he has Roman entitlements. And number two, he has no crime charged against him. All of his other criminals have a letter stating the things that they've done, and he has their crime and their charges. Paul hasn't done anything. We saw that. We looked back at Agrippa. Agrippa basically told Festus, man, you messed up, buddy. you got to send him here. you got a real problem. Be honest, this guy would probably be set free today if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So, so we know that there's no charges against him. There's nothing there. But then you think about Paul's demeanor and Paul's personality and Paul's knowledge because he did grow up in, in some of the best schools. And, and, and so there, there are some, some favorable treatments given to the Apostle Paul. So maybe that's the reason that a couple of friends are able to go. Verse number 2, it says, Enter into the ship of Adramidium. We launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, the one Aristarchus of Macedonia, Thessalonica being with us. That's another one of Paul's friends. That's another one of his traveling companions. Back in chapter 19, y'all remember Demetrius the silversmith? He made the silver shrines for the goddess Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. Y'all remember? He was ticked off because Paul and all of his people came in, and they're preaching Jesus Christ. They're preaching against idolatry. They're preaching against anything that is contrary to God. He got mad because, y'all remember, he makes a lot of money making these little silver shrinkets, the little silver shrines. 
mines, the little, the little trinkets. He makes a lot of money and that stuff. All the silversmiths. So he goes and he gets his competitors all gathered up and he forms a mob and it comes out and they arrest some people. And it says in Acts 19, 29, the city was filled with confusion, having caught Gaius and, and Aristarchus of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. They rushed him with one accord in a theater. So, so this, this, this is a man of Macedonia who has traveled with Paul in the past, and he traveled with Jerusalem to Paul. If you remember, he's one of the ones that was named that traveled to Jerusalem that some men came with him to bring that large sum of money from the Gentile churches to the church at Jerusalem. So what we see is that these two men are allowed to travel with the Apostle Paul. So I, I was thinking about something else in this. I understand the Apostle Paul is an incredibly strong man. I think he's probably pretty strong physically, but I, he is very strong spiritually. Amen? I have no doubt that Paul can get by without having a couple friends with him. I have no doubt that Paul would be carried by the Holy Spirit, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, given what he needs by the Holy Spirit. But I also know this. Even Jesus traveled with friends. Even Jesus had his disciples. There's just something there about having a prayer warrior beside you. There's just something there about having at least one friend that you can count on to call and know that whatever I share won't be spread. It'll be prayed about. Sorry, but a lot, of prayer, a lot of prayer requests are just public knowledge, something get on Facebook, they, and, and you can call some. Sorry, you can call some. They don't, when, when you pray about this, the minute they hang up, when they should be praying for you, they're not. They're calling everybody else, oh, pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, pray for so-and-so. Oh, this is what happened. What they're doing is they're blabbing your business. Sorry, they just are. When I call somebody to pray, I need them to pray. I don't need them to talk to somebody else about what I call to pray about to talk to somebody else and get a whole lot of people talking about what I need you to pray about. If I need somebody to pray, I need somebody to pray. And there's something about having somebody that you can count on to pray. And, and, and I just, I feel like what I see is that God, God gave Paul friends. God gave Paul two people to travel with him, even on this journey, to have somebody there alongside of him. Verse number 3, it says that they touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul, gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. So more than two years at Caesarea, this major port city, this, 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 this skyline of high-rise, if you will, Paul is finally out of Caesarea, and he comes to this place here at Sidon. He's on his way to Rome, and the ship that he's on lands here at this little city. Now, there is a church at Sidon. This church actually began when Paul was still Saul of Tarsus. This is a very old church. It's one of the original churches. There's no doubt there's some people there that knew, had at least heard about Saul of Tarsus feared this man, but now they've heard about the missionary journey. They've heard about all the things. And we know they had to have because we know that Paul has friends here because it says he's allowed to go visit with his friends. That means that the friends have told those that are there about what great things God has done through this man, the Apostle Paul, and it says he's able to go to refresh himself. It comes from a word that means friendship or kind attention. So we see the, what I'm talking about, the preferential treatment of, of Julius by allowing Paul to go visit. Albert Barnes in his commentary says, 
to refresh himself, to enjoy the benefit of their kind care, to make his present situation and his voyage as comfortable as possible. It is probable that they would furnish him with supplies which were needful to make his long and perilous voyage comfortable. So what we see is that even though Paul is in chains, even though Paul is in prison, Paul is going to where God said you're going to go. He's on his way to Rome, and even as a prisoner, you find that the Holy Spirit sends a couple of more people alongside so that he has some people to, to fellowship with, and then he gives him preferential treatment of the centurion, the captain of the Roman guards, to be able to do some things. What I see is even in, the, in what looks to be the dark time, I see the Holy Spirit taking care of Paul. I see the Holy Spirit giving some preferential treatment even while he is in prison. So what, what looks bad, you see the Holy Spirit doing some things. Verse 4, when he had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And we sailed over the sea of Cilicia, Pamphylia. We came to Myra, the city of Lycia. And there a centurion, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing to Italy. And he put us therein. So once again, we, we see the, the certainty that, that Luke and Aristarchus are, are, are there with Paul. He uses the pronoun us. And, and we see that, that they left Sidon. And once they left Sidon, then, then their traveling issues began. This is going to be a series of traveling problems, a series of, of traveling events and, and hard times. But they're entering into the time of the year when sailing begins to cease because of the winds, because of the storm. So it says that they, they dropped anchor at Myra, a city of Lycia, and there the, the centurion found a, a much larger ship, much more suitable for, for their need. The, the, a, a ship from the Egyptian city of Alexandria. Scholars say that this would have been a large cargo ship, that this thing was comparable to some of our ships of the day. So we're talking about a huge ship. It's just not motorized. It's by sail. But, but they get on board the, this big ship. It, it would have been loaded with, with a huge amount of cargo. There would have been a lot of goods on this ship. And, and its final, ultimate destination would have been Rome, which makes it the perfect ship for, for, for Julius to get these prisoners on. Verse 7 and 8 says that when, it, when he sailed slowly many days, scarce were come over uh, uh, against Snidus. The wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon. And hardly passing it, we came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereinto was the city of Lycia. So hardly passing it, that shows us that the ship is going really slow. Like, they're not getting anywhere fast. They're, they're having a hard time. It says that they sailed many days to get uh, to, to Snidus. Now, the distance is what we see. My friend, you probably got a, my, uh, a map there in the back of your Bible. If you ever use your maps and look back, you can look by there and see that the distance between these two cities is about 130 miles. Historians also tell us that's a one-day trip for a ship like Alexandria. That, 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 that's something they said sails pull up. That's about what they could cover in, in one long day. But what the text says here is that they have sailed for many days. And it says that we barely inched our way past the island of Snidus when we finally got there. So what we see is there are some very severe winds and they're headwinds. It's not something that's helping them out. So they're faced with a decision. Do we seek shelter or do we continue on traveling? So, so th there's no doubt that this ship probably contains some time pertinent materials that needed to get to Rome. So there's a reason that the captain would have wanted to get this ship there. I'm sure his paycheck 
probably depends on getting some of this stuff there. Not to mention he has a ship full of Paul's prisoners, I'm sure, or Paul and the other prisoners. I'm sure the centurion's ready to get those guys off his plate. So, so they have reason to want to travel. So what we find out is they, they just keep on traveling, but, but the wind not suffering us. The wind wouldn't allow them to take their normal path and go at their normal speed. So they're trying to get next to some islands. They're trying to deflect the wind. They're trying to find a way. But finally it says that they drop anchor at Fair Havens. That's an appropriate name. It would have been one of the last places, the farthest east, that, that a ship could travel in into the prevailing wind. The thing is, it's not a very good port city. It's not a very large port city. Verse number 9, it says, When much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And he said, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. John Gill says that the Syriac version renders when we stayed there a long time. The Ethiopic version renders, we remained there many days. So we don't really know how long they were there. But what we do know is that they were there at least several days. And they're faced with the decision. Do we stay here in harbor for the winter? Or do we take our chances and set sail? Kind of like the decision that the captain of the Titanic had, right? Do, 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 do we press on and... So anyway, the, the captain, he, he's not the only one here with traveling experience. Remember we talked about it. Paul's got a lot of traveling experience. He spent a lot of time on, on the water in these very waters on ship. We know he's already been in three shipwrecks, 2 Corinthians 11:25. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. Three times I've been in a shipwreck. One of those times I spent all night and all day floating in the sea like shark bait, just waiting on somebody to come and rescue me. So he understands the things that are possible. So we have a really good reference as to what time of year it is. Luke says that the fast was already passed. The fast that he's talking of there, you get it from Leviticus 23, 27, when the Lord gives all the commandments of the different feasts and the fast, the things that they did that celebrated on the 10th day of the seventh month. So that means in our calendar, it would have been early October. Now, the problem for them is that the dangerous time for sailing runs mid-September to mid-November. If it's early October, guess where they are? Right in the middle of the do not sail sign. Right, right in the middle of the time that, that it literally is travel at, at your own risk. There, there's several weeks into it. So these winter storms are to be expected on the Mediterranean this time of year. They're expected to come out of nowhere and maybe have, have no pre-warning. Paul says, I perceive this voyage is going to be hurt. There's going to be some damage. You're not just going to lose the products. You're not just going to lose the ship. Some people may lose their lives. I, I think we need to stay where we're at. Paul is right, but remember how we started? Paul don't have the final say-so. This is the first time we find Paul traveling under someone else's guidance. He's a prisoner. So he, put, he puts his best foot forward right there, but, but apparently the final answer was given to Julius. Verse number 11, Nevertheless, the centurion believes the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. I, I get it. You've got a prisoner that's done some sailing. He's been in three shipwrecks. He's probably a little gun shy. I get it. He's a prisoner. He ain't no big hurry to get to Rome. Let's stay here in the winter for a while. I, I, I get it. The, the centurion's looking at it. You got the captain of the ship. It says that he's the owner of the ship. This is a very profitable businessman. He's probably done this his entire life. This isn't his first rodeo. 
Probably ain't the first time he's sailed in the month of October. So the centurion, he's looking at the two sides, and, and, and he sees no real reason to doubt the owner of the ship. Besides, verse number 12, it says, the haven was not commodious to, to winter in. We just talked about it. It's really not big enough. The, the more part advised to part thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenix and there to winter. Phoenix being a bigger city, which is a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and the northwest. So along with the captain's recommendations that we ought to sell, you also have the thing ahead of him that this fair havens isn't a sizable port. This isn't where we need to be. If we can at least make it to Phoenix. And that's a pretty big deal because it's not very far away. I, 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 want, I want to take, I don't really want to end here. I may have to. I've still got a lot left for tonight. But I do, I do want to look at something as I was looking at that and kind of comparing some things to today. Julius is the man in charge. And he seeks wisdom from two places. A man of the world and a man of God. He, he, he chooses man's wisdom over God's man. We, we know the Apostle Paul is God's man, God's chosen vessel, but he chooses man's wisdom over God's man. God's man said, I perceive God is showing me something about this. I'm telling you we need to stay put. But man's wisdom, the captain says, don't worry about it. I can do it. I, I've done this before. It's, it's nothing I can't handle. See, in today's schools, we teach Darwin over gospel. In, in today's schools, we teach man's theory over God's word. People, people accept science over scripture. They, they accept psychology over theology. Degrees from a school of higher learning over God's own word. They, they will accept astronomy in the study of the stars over I made the stars also. We, we live in a world that is following the advice of man rather than God's man. They're, they're following the things of the world rather than the words of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Julius chose to listen to the knowledge of man over the wisdom of God. He, he looks at this captain. He sees this very successful businessman. You know, he, he's, a, he's a seasoned sailor. And here's what he does. When he looks at the man, he overestimates that man's ability. When he looks at Paul, yes, Paul is an educated man. Yes, he was trained in the highest schools of the Philistines, or, 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 or the Pharisees, the Philistines, of, of the Pharisees. And, and yes, he, he has his wealth of knowledge. Yes, he's a very polite man. Yes, he's done a lot of study, and he's been on the seas, and he's done a lot of traveling. But when he looks at Paul, he sees his prisoner, and he underestimates because he doesn't view him as a man of God. He, he doesn't put the emphasis in, in the right place. He chose the captain's professionalism over Paul's anointing. See, that's the problem in the world today. We're focused on the wrong stuff. Pe people are looking for answers in the wrong place. They're, they're searching in, in, in the wrong place. So, so they decide to set sail. As I just said a minute ago, Phoenix is only about... 30 or 40 miles to the west. So if they can just get there, right? If they can just, that's a much more suitable harbor. If we can just go that far. So, so from Paul's perspective, he's only concerned about other people. Paul is not worried about his life in making this journey. To me, it's important to understand. He is cautioning, we don't need to travel because you're going to lose some cargo. You're going to lose a ship. Some of you are going to lose your lives, possibly. We, we, he, he's not 
worried about himself. He's worried about the captain and the crew. He's worried about Julius, the centurion, and the other prisoners. He's worried about those people. He's worried about the people in Rome, that this cargo will positively benefit when, when the cargo gets there. He's, he's worried about those people. He's certainly worried about his two friends. For himself, he has no reason to be concerned about his life. We've already looked at it. As thou hast preached in Jerusalem, so shall thou preach at Rome. He's going to Rome, and hell can't stop it. Death isn't going to get in the way. He's going to Rome, and he knows that. So you understand, he's not worried about himself right here. He is truly, can you imagine the excitement that I'm going to get to preach at Rome? I'm going to preach to Caesar. I'm going to get to tell Rome about Jesus Christ. But yet he said, I'm worried about these people. Let's stay here, get everybody there safely. We'll preach when we get there. See, there's something to be said about putting other people's interests first. Verse number 13, we, we see another warning. It, it says that when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose loosing thence, that they sailed close by Crete. That, that means that they were anchored. That, that, that loosing thence, they had to have been anchored down, and now they pulled anchor up. That means that they had made it to a suitable place to harbor. But what does it say? The wind blew softly. We made it to a place to stay, but there was no signs of trouble on the water. How many of you know the old story, the calm before the storm? A lot of times there's very little wind before the real winds get there. It's, it's, just, it's just like Christians in, in our lives. We, we really should listen, but, you know, things aren't bad, so we decide to move on. The, the Holy Spirit is giving warning right here to them. Don't go on. They've got warning from the Holy Spirit, but, but they decide to go on. God, God allows it to continue on in Christians' lives. We know we really need to, to turn back, but, but they just keep going on. God gives chance after chance after chance to make the right choices, but Christians continue to run through stop signs, run through red lights, because the wind's not blowing bad yet. Well, guess what? By the time you get into the bad wind, you've gone too far to turn back. By the time you get into the hurricane, you're going to suffer loss. There was multiple opportunities given, and Christians face it every day in failure. Only because God gave so many warnings, so many opportunities, so many islands where you could drop anchor, so many places where you could harbor for the winter, so many places you just stay here, just don't keep going in there. But they keep on going, and they wind up in the place where God was trying to get them not to be, and they wind up in trouble, and they pay the price for it. He ignores what the man of God says because the winds blew softly. You know, a lot of people have been lured out to sea by the soft winds. It looked good when they, when they were standing there so that they were lured in by bad decisions. They were guided by, by wrong directions. They, they were led by wrong counsel. That's what we find here. Led by, by worldly counsel. For the Christian, I know there's probably a lot. But there's at least three factors I want to look at. There, there's three factors that come into view that every Christian ought to look at before making life-changing decisions. There, there, are, there are three factors in determining God's will for our lives before we make decisions and move forward. And since my clock ran out two minutes ago, that means, Lord willing, we'll get to pick up with those, those three things next week. God, thank you so much for this book. Thank you. 
for your word. Thank you for your blessings, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit guidance. Lord, your Holy Spirit unction that, that guides us and tells us the way that we should go. And God, it tells us the things to stay away from, the directions we should go, Father. Forgive us for the times that we fail to heed the guidance and the warning and the direction of your sweet Holy Spirit, and we step into our own messes, God. Thank you for continuing to love us in spite of us and love us through our own mistakes and to continue to bring us back like prodigals and, and your arms around our neck and hug us and, and put on the family robe, God. Thank you, Father, for continuing to love us in spite of us. I pray you'd strengthen us, God. I pray you'd help us to make good decisions, to seek godly wisdom, Father. May you give us guidance and direction and help us, Father, to see the way that we should go and the strength to walk in it. Father, we love you. You've been good to us, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. God bless you. You love on somebody. Invite somebody Sunday morning.